This is the show for those who want to live strong in business, life, and family. Welcome to the Warrior Her Podcast. I'm, I'm Tony, uh, the founder um, and owner of The Corporate Tea. Um, and, you know, The Corporate Tea really is, you know, all things career advice. Um, and I'm happy to be here with you today. Um, my family and upbringing um, is, you know, interesting, right? So I, I'm originally from Florida. I grew up I, I call Florida the South, but most people think Florida is like an island of itself, but it is as South as you can get. Um, and uh, so very Southern traditional family. I grew up my mom and my stepfather um, who was military um, and um, as an only child. And so I think as an only child, you know, it's interesting, even now as a mom having an only child, um, I think there are a lot of, you know, only child get a bad, only children, I should say, get a bad rap. Um, but there is a lot of beauty in being an only child because you grow up sort of conversing with adults and being very, you know, my friends used to joke, actually, one of my friends was joking the other day, and she's like, I feel like you've been 38 since we were 16. And so um, I think only children just have this beauty of being able to relate to so many different types of people, but particularly people who are much older than them and just are are wise beyond their years often. Um, And so, uh, but I grew up with a big family and I didn't really, although I was an only child, I also didn't kind of feel like I was an only child because I had a lot of cousins. Both of uh, my parents are from big families. Um, My bio dad plus my stepfather and my mom. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's sort of sort of my background. You know, I just kind of grew up like an ocean baby from Florida in the sun. I like all things water. Um, and um, I'm very, very, very close uh, with my parents. So first of all, we're in Florida because I am also a Floridian. Really? I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Tampa originally. I don't okay. know. So I'm South Florida. So I'm okay. in like Palm Beach. Oh, yeah. Not I, too far. Uh-huh. But my yeah. sister's in Tampa. Yeah. Tampa's such a a great little gym of a city, you know. It's, it's a, grown a it's, lot, too. It has. It's a big little city, you know. And if you're from there, people know you, you know, like because you, you just know those natives that grown there because it's kind of a big little city. But it is a hidden gym, you know, because it's just so close to the water. Um, but, you know, so quaint and suburban. But it just has a lot of little it has a very it's a very great city I really like it and I was actually just recently I mean maybe it's been like a year now but I was reading an article that talked about Tampa being like the new LA which I just thought was a really, really in comparison yeah and the way that it's growing and a lot of tech tech people are going to Tampa and it's just it's growing and restaurants are opening and I thought it was really interesting too because yeah I mean I've only been a handful of times to see my sister but she lives in um, Riverview, 
So yeah, it's like which is an outskirt. Yeah. yeah, it's not yeah. exactly like Tampa, but yeah, you know, that was kind of all I knew about it. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I think as a native um, who is not just a native first generation, but like four generations Tampanian, right? And I have seen the city gentrify in ways that both make me excited, but also sad, right? And I can remember getting out of college and um, Ybor City is like a big, it's sort of like if you think about New Orleans, it's like the equivalent to the French quarters in Tampa, right? And um, it has kind of that same kind of vibe, very historic district of Tampa. And I can remember getting out of school and people telling me, yeah, we're going to hang out in Ebor. And when I was growing up, it was like, you didn't get caught in Ebor after dark. Like, I was like, going to Ebor? What are you going to Ebor for? And, um, and now it, it has completely changed. And my great-grandmother used to be one of the, like, first, you know, Black uh, business owners um, in Ybor City. And so it was a very, historically, it was primarily uh, a Black and Latin area because, you know, Tampa has a, hu a huge Cuban population. And um, it's interesting now to see it gentrified and to drive down 22nd Street and see the old carpenter homes now turning into like three, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollar homes um, as the elderly are dying or being bought out. Um, but at the same time, I think it's long overdue that the city has matured and, and really kind of been a large city for Florida compared to like Miami or Orlando. So, you know, it's 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 a it's a double edged sword for me but it's a great city nonetheless. And it what's funny too, is that you say, you know, Florida being the South and most people do not realize that, you know, when they're not from Florida, I think it's kind of like the misconception when you say like, I'm from California and people think, Oh, you must be from Beverly Hills. Hills like, yeah. uh, you know, there's a whole state. You know, yeah. Cities. Yeah. And I get that all the time. I had a girl too, who was, she, she went to school at FSU but she was talking about her experience and how racially divided it was at the time. And she did yeah. not like it. She didn't like it because she was from New York and she was just telling me how it was just so uncomfortable. And people don't realize that there's so many parts of Florida that are still very yeah. much like that. Yeah, it's Miami. I'm like, no, yeah, they think know. Miami or they think Disney World, right? And yeah. those are like the only two places people know. But a large part, I mean, you, you really have like, in my opinion, maybe five major cities um, in, in Florida, and then the rest of it is pretty rural. So I mean, you know, when you Google the, you know, everybody's playing around, they blame Florida for everything. And they're like, the man with the alligator. I mean, it's it's funny, but it's also sort of true, right? Because we have all these very rural areas that are in Florida that people don't even know the names of Okeechobee and, you know, <laughs> Del Glade. I mean, yeah. I have no idea how, yeah. how poor it is there. Too. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Del Glade. I'm like, oh, yeah, God. absolutely. <laughs> so, um, so that's really funny that you're from Florida. Yeah. That's really great. So where are you now then? Where are you currently? So currently I'm in Dallas, Texas. Oh my <laughs> God. That's where I want to move. You'll and love it here. Come that. on. Come on. My, in. My Everybody's coming here. We don't know where they're going to live because Dallas is like the number one, one of the number, you know, top three cities to live in now. Uh, it's growing so massively. Uh, but yeah, it's a great city. I, I'm honestly, and this has been something we've been saying. Uh, my friend, my best friend lives in McKinney. 
I live in McKinney. Elf, Shut stop. Up. That's hilarious. <laughs> that is so funny. And I was like, we went to Austin. I like Austin. My husband was like, I don't know. About... It was a little weird for me. Yeah. And I was like, okay, but he, he really loved Dallas. And I'm like, well, we can settle there. So we're, we're kind of figuring out, like, do we want to move and sell our house and move there? Um, we're figuring it out, but I'm, I'm kind of trying to push him more. So, yeah, you know, it's a down market. So I think it's a good time to um, explore Dallas because it is just, you know, bursting at the seams and, you know, people a little nervous with the pandemic. So now would be a great time to kind of look at homes here and, you know, people are a lot more eager to sell. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great city. Uh, you know, people ask me all the time, do I think I'm going to go back home? Um, and I'm always like, man, I, every every year I fall more in love with Dallas. So. You're not the you're not the only person who's told me that. I've had a few people that I talked to. Um, uh, actually, recently my my last interview last week was um, her name is Terry. She's actually in Dallas too. She's a like a stock. Investor. Oh, I know Terry. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a small world. I <laughs> her and and she was telling me about Dallas, and then my friend is there, and so I was. I just. it's something different and maybe because I was raised in Florida you know but when I went there it felt like home and that was the only thing I could the way I could describe it to people they're like what do you love about Texas right my grandmother's like don't become a Republican yeah I mean I think it's so funny you'll get to Dallas and you'll find there's this goodness it's it's, and I know why you like it too because um actually Dallas reminded me of the Tampa of 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 Texas honestly and it did my exact words where it reminded me of home um there's something about you know they call Dallas big rich Texas right it's the home of the $30,000 millionaire not anymore though but but uh it's bursting at the seams with so many corporate companies coming here but one of the things that I loved about Dallas was just that it was progressive but it does you know like your grandmother said it it has some deep rooted you know kind of um you know Dallas has a historically more segregated you know people call it the four Dallases you know it's kind of split up but what I love about what's been happening over the last few years in in Dallas is um that it is it's changing um because so many different companies are coming here and there's a huge transient kind of population particularly in the northern suburbs and um and i think it's forcing the city you know they brought in a new police chief renee horn from detroit and um there's just these new rising leaders within Dallas that are just kind of changing the climate of like how the city traditionally was but it is it is it's still deeply republican but also in in many ways Dallas is very progressive it's kind of hard to describe but i feel like that's kind of how florida is right you know there's these outskirts of really kind of um you know kind of right you know conservative type perspectives and then and then also you find this goodness in the more metropolitan areas where there are a lot of liberal and progressive thinking so so i mean it's a great city to live in and uh one of the things i loved the most about it was just the amount of opportunity that was here that is a little bit different from tampa it was a little bit further along in the journey in terms of opportunity and so we'll get into then the corporate tea so is was the corporate tea created in Florida or yeah. was it in Texas? 
No, it was created in Florida. Um, and so it really initially, so let me say this, um, and the corporate tea started out as a hobby. You know, um, I am an HR practitioner by trade um, and I have been in HR somewhere, somewhere in the realm of people um, in, in human capital for like the last 17 years. And what would happen was my phone was constantly ringing for advice. So initially I started the corporate tea as a blog. Like I was just going to tell you about all the things you needed to know. And the whole tea aspect is like spilling tea or giving tea or like kind of this Southern, you know, um, China tradition of drinking tea, you know, and, and sharing, you know, neighborhood gossip was kind of the birth of where the name came from. And I thought it was funny. And when it was, you know, back then when you started a blog, you know, it had to be something that was catchy and, you know, people loved it. I didn't even assume that it would become a business, right? At, at that time, I, it wasn't even that type of vision. It was just my need to want to help people and to stop my phone from ringing. I could be like, well, look, I wrote a blog about it. Or, you know, um, you could come see me speak here, you know? And as I start to provide more insights, I got more requests <laughs> and then it turned into speaking. And then speaking turned into like, consulting and it just has evolved over time um and coaching and and so it just has evolved over time honestly um but it, it started in florida i brought it to texas and it really 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 boomed here and so on the website you know it talk your website talks about your passion for women and minorities in the world yeah why why those two you know, I think because, and I mean, and if it's not apparent now with the state of the world, I mean, I probably was more provocative seven years ago, eight years ago when I started talking about it. Um, but I think that what we're realizing today in light of sort of all of the racial tension that we're, that's now being displayed more openly for us is that in my opinion, navigating as a marginalized group was much harder in the corporate space, right? And even my mindset seven, eight years ago has changed about how I coach women and, and minorities today. Um, but initially it just started with, the, that, was the, that was the basis of my questions. You know, for women, it was more around pay parity. Um, but for, you know, you know, Black, and Latinx, and I'll, and I'll say that primarily, um, it was really more about um, conditions to succeed and treatment and, and then pay parity. And there were all these things that were like kind of packed on top of each other. Um, and so it was like, how as someone who's at the table on the other side of the door, hiring, promoting, um, having insights about how you can navigate, how can I provide assistance and what you should or shouldn't do? Um, and that's kind of where it started. And you had a you had a blog that I read and it's called it was from 2016, but it, I was like, this is just perfect. Mm -hmm. It was race and empathy in corporate America. And you mm -hmm. talk about uh, racial empathy. Can you just tell people like what that means? Man, I wrote so many blogs. I don't even remember. But um, <laughs> racial empathy. Um, I don't. I don't even recall that. This is this is how many like I provided my insights and and in different to so many places. But I'll say, um, I think what it comes down to now um, in corporate spaces really is about um, 
the lack of like cultural competency that we have and racial empathy that we have for how, how, what type, what people are showing up with in, at work, right? So, you know, a lot of times, you know, you have the mindset that people are going to, you know, come to work, do a great job, and you'll be rewarded for it. But as you and I both know, um, I, you know, there are kind of these already systemic things that are happening within the corporate space there and there's implicit bias there is that a you're having to navigate on top of the fact that there's sort of like this you know kind of almost racial PTSD that we're dealing with in the outside world and then bringing into the corporate space and being triggered over and over again through like microaggressions and insults and things like that and so um you know, I'm always encouraging people to take a step back and really, especially at, from a leadership perspective or for a, from a company perspective, um, that we consider the experiences of all the people within our corporations um, so that we can create conditions and psychological safety for people to succeed in our companies. Because I think we're, we're having a lot of, you know, we're not having great conversations, in my opinion. We're focused on pipeline, right? The recruiting teams getting people of color or women, more women into the organization. But really the real question or the real you know, challenge is when we get those folks into the company, do they have conditions to succeed? And, and that, that's kind of what the corporate tea has always been a safe space for people to say, I'm feeling this thing and for me to honor that thing. And that was something as an HR practitioner, that was a bit of a conflict internally, right? I found myself kind of being like an internal psychologist and people feeling, but there is a certain level of conflict there when I work for the company. Um, so also I think another piece of me creating the corporate tea was just for me to create a safe space for people that didn't work, you know, in, a, in an area I was supporting to be able to have a safe space for someone who is sort of an expert um, in, in, in um, you know, human capital. So. And you, you said this is the second time you've talked about human capital. Explain to people what human capital means when you yeah. talk about it. When I say human capital, I really mean, you know, your your human, you know, real true capital. You know, your any any company that is a great company is built on the backs of your people, right? And so you should really be treating your people like you treat the bottom line, the balance sheet. Uh, how you're looking at everything else, right? And so a lot of times when we think about our people, we don't really think about them as, you know, capital and how we make money and how, and and the reflection of how we treat them um, also also determines, you know, how successful we are, right? Um, and so the conditions that we create also determines longevity for the company and how innovative we can be. Um, and I think there's tons of research and proof on, you know, diverse companies and um, innovative companies um, are, are largely companies that treat their people well and, and create conditions for all people to succeed. And how do you do that even just within your company? Like, how do you promote? Yeah, I mean, I think um, for me, um, you know, it's it's lean for me, right? And most often um, my staff um, are independent contractors. But, um, but even in that, it really is a just about, there's a couple things that I think I'm really good at, and this might be my HR background, which is, um, 
you know, I remember when I started my career, I worked for Target and uh, right out of college in their kind of leadership executive rotational program. And um, they had this saying, right person, right time, right place. And it's always stuck with me. I always thought it was a great saying. And it's really about aligning people's talent to the right things at the right time. Um, and I have taken that with me along my journey, even in corporate leading teams. Um, and so utilizing that. And then I, I hire people who are smart at things that I'm not necessarily as smart at, and then I enable them to do that well and, and consistently. So um, that is is my, and then of course you treat people well, right? Um, ultimately you just treat people well, you pay people fairly um, for the work that they do. Yeah, we could probably have a whole nother, you know, podcast <laughs> on that part, especially being women of color. Yeah. Um, and so I work, primarily in the field of autism with children and adults with disabilities. We provide home therapy and there are huge disparities. And I'm lucky enough that like I have a white male who works with me, who's very transparent in his Mm -hmm. salary. And he is like, you know, when you pass your board exams, you need to ask for this much because that's how much I make. So there's no reason you should make less than that. And I always thought that that was very admirable because yeah. There's first of all, there's just not very many black people, period, in the field that I'm in. There's right. Not. And then black women is like even more scarce. Right. So it's really interesting. We could have a whole nother, you know, thing about that. But can yeah. You tell me like, you know, maybe a story about uh, working with like a Fortune 500 company or uh, any company that maybe you've consulted with on on like pay disparity and how you handle that? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you said like, you know, I often encourage um, that we need more male white allies in this journey too, um, because one of the ways that I have navigated um, my pay, I mean, my, my first really great pay advice came from a white male mentor. Um, and I remember this was this was well over a decade ago, and he was like, "Stop sharing your salary, right?" And even before, you know, now laws are changing, and you know, companies are getting smarter about it. Recruiters are not necessarily asking you salary, or shouldn't be really anymore. Um, but but. 12, 13 years ago, you know, it was rampant. It was like, we're going to pay you, you know, and it just never made sense to me. But he was the first person to write free me of that. Like the reason you're not, you're getting kind of like lowballed is because you're sharing a salary, just a simple tip. Um, and he was also sharing with me how he had navigated, you know, um, and, and how when people asked him how he would, you know, um, and, and he just really was like, listen, any company is trying to pay you what, you know, pay you based on another role um, that they have their own pay philosophy about and you did a whole nother job, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, you need to go in saying like, here's what my desire, you know, pay is for the work that I understand you're explaining to me, because that's really the conversation. And so he really leveled up my business acumen in terms of how I would negotiate. But in terms of internally, um, you know, there are a lot of companies over the last few years who've wanted to consult around pay parity. But as with anything, and this is what I even share for employees, uh, 
particular D, um, DEI, and that's diversity, equity, and inclusion. So when you think about the equity piece, which is generally where a lot of that parity work falls in, it is a journey, right? It, it is a marathon. And so if, you, if you're working with a Fortune 500 company that has more than 30,000 employees, they can't wake up one day and be like, we're just going to give all the Black and, black and Latinx people a promotion. Um, pay parity and looking at pay takes time, right? Market analysis and where there are disparities. You got to be careful too, because if they've been largely underpaying folks, um, they could also get in trouble from external um, companies. Uh, are not companies, organizations like the EEOC and things like that. And so it is is, is sort of a journey. But but ultimately, um, I, I think companies um, that create guardrails for there to be bias um, are the ones that are most successful. Because when you think about um, companies like recruiters who don't ask for salary, um, that, you know, people who don't verify salary, um, when you, um, when they have like a pay philosophy, philosophy internally around the roles and what you can and can't do, that they don't, they don't have hidden benefits um, that only certain people have access to. I mean, there are a lot of things that you can kind of create to start parity now, um, but it does take a long time to fix poor practices. You know, it's interesting too. I had, a, I had an interview um, and this was recently, this was probably two weeks ago. And I think, and I don't know if you've ever felt this way or people who are listening have ever felt this way, but I think especially as, as a woman and then a minority woman talking about pay has always been very uncomfortable. Oh yeah. And I think that's first just how, you know, most people don't realize their privilege. Like that's just uncomfortable to me and it mm -hmm. shouldn't be right. You're just, no. you're really just saying, how much am I going to get paid for this? What's the salary? You know, whatever it is that you're doing in your job, you want to know, cause that's kind of important. <laughs> I mean, you want to know. Yeah. And uh, this company in the interview said, um, what are you looking for as far as salary? And I knew that question was going to come. Right. And I remembered what my friend told me. And I said, well, I'm looking for at least 75000 And she's like, oh, well, you know, we only, we start between forty-five and 55000 It's like, okay, that's fine. You know, and then the interview went on, but I just thought it was interesting. And I didn't ever know. I recently learned this and I'm 31. So I, and I'm, I consider myself to be a pretty smart person, but when companies ask you what your salary was or what you expect, I never knew there was a reason for that. And what do you think is the reason? I think the reason is so that they can like, if what if they're going to pay you more, but they're like, Hey, I don't have oh, to. Oh yeah. Anymore. I mean, right? it's definitely right. Right. right? Yeah. Even, even mm -hmm. in a regular, you know, just a, a, a not a nine to five job or, you know, mm -hmm. something where you're just like target. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're like, Hey, I'll work for 10 bucks an hour because 10 bucks an hour for me is mm -hmm. huge, but somebody else is willing to work for minimum wage. Yeah. I, I, you, there's, there's a book um, that really changed my perspective on not getting unscared. It's called the secrets of six, six figure women. So if you haven't read it, it's a great book. And in the book, the author talks about, um, she really talks about, and on my website, just as a, a little humble um, plug, I have a, a, re a book, 
uh, resources list. And so that, cause people kept asking me for books. So there are all the books that, that I think about in different categories that you're working on from a career perspective are on, on my website. So you can always go if, if you, you know, if it's, if you forget the book. Um, but the, in the secrets of six figure women, she talks about an under earner. And one of the things that has stuck with me for years since reading that book, cause it's a really old book. Um, is that she said like an under earner is not necessarily someone who earns like less than six figures. It really is someone who earns less than their full potential. And that kind of stab stabbed me in the heart because I made really great money and I made over six figures and I thought I'm doing well. And comparably when you're like a first generation college student, you're a, a black female, you're doing so much better than what your family is doing. You tend to think that you're doing okay. But when I read that book and I realized like my peer group was tre tremendously making much more money than me because of small things and my inability, you know, to to really be to to really prepare myself. So anytime someone wants to have a conversation with me, I don't take it lightly. If you're going to have a conversation with me about uh, a role, I'm going to research the company. And there's so many. Um, um, I re recently just did a, 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 a kind of a, a vlog cast with the National Black MBAs of of Dallas, and we and it was all about pay parity. And I named some of the resources that you can look like the the uh, statistics of labor, um, um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, I'm sorry, and then, you know, Glassdoor and, and Salary Expert. And there's all these different places where you can kind of get an idea maybe of how companies are paying. And you should always go into a conversation with a number in mind. Um, and also it's sort of like buying a house when you're shopping. You wanna be paid what you're worth, just like you wanna buy a house for what it's worth, not more than what it's worth. So you have to be prepared to walk away. And I think what happens particularly for people of color is we're just so grateful to get the opportunity and we've already designed our office and our mind and we want this job so bad as opposed to being like, it's not great. And what I learned to negotiate well, I've had companies who I've walked away from um, come back to me later and say, hey, we know, but we've adjusted some things. Maybe we've adjusted the title. We haven't had a connection with anyone like you. So we're willing to change things. And so I think there's, you know, and I, I when I start to learn that and how, how to negotiate, okay, so maybe you can't give me this salary, but can you give me a sign-on bonus, a one-time sign-on bonus? And that way I'm not, I can say, okay, if I don't like it in a year, if I don't like it in 18 months, this is what I holistically made. Um, and companies are a lot more willing to do like sign-ons um, and and a salary that is maybe more, you know, similar to the salaries that they already have um, as a one-time amount. But then that may propel you. Like if someone's going to write you a $25,000 check, but also give you, you know, $120,000 salary, you know, you've now made one forty-five. Now you may not make it year over year, but what what you, what you do with that 25k may change the game for you in terms of how you invest it or if you pay off debt whatever that is so learning how to negotiate is a skill that i think is really important um for people of color yeah and just knowing knowing what what exactly you can negotiate right yeah you know like this was this was one of those things where you said like learning to walk away i i was doing it simply just to see 
I really have zero intent. I work for one of the biggest companies in the U.S. They're a great company. They pay really great. So, and I, when I started with the company, I was in those meetings doing hiring with them. I started on the other side. Yeah. The, the administrative side. So I knew what they pay. Right. But I was like, let's just see if the grass is greener. Right. If there's other places who, you know, maybe have just various things that, um, and we call them in, in the science of behavior, like reinforcers. And so some people want more money, right. Some people Mm -hmm. want a flexible schedule. Mm -hmm. Some people want freedom of schedule. Some people want the ability to travel all the time. So those reinforcers are different for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. For me, money is very important because I have other goals. Mm-hmm, yeah. But, um, it was just interesting. And I think not knowing, I, I'm always I'm a big proponent of like feedback and getting better. So I, I think yeah. too, just mm-hmm. knowing what I can ask for and what I'm allowed to negotiate. And I think that that's something that mm-hmm. I don't feel extremely equipped with. Yeah. I also think it's important for people to do what exactly what you're describing, which is like take the call, right? Apply for the role just to see, right? Because when you have a job and you like the job, it's good for you to A, build relationships externally outside of the you know current corporate company you're with, but also for you to have an opportunity to fail <laughs> In safely, right? So if you if you go, you're like, dang, I really should have done this better. Um, you don't want to wait until you really need a job or you really want to move to make that kind of mistake. So I think it's healthy for you to take conversations all the time. And so what services exactly does your company provide? Um, so right now we're heavily focused on consulting um, for small and medium-sized companies because we found, you know, find that that, that's sort of a niche that's untapped um, in terms of building um, HR infrastructure for medium and small companies that typically um, they start a company, they go go out, get an LLC, they start hiring people, and then they get to like 10 to 40 people and they're like, oh my gosh, this is a mess, right? Like they're starting to get in unemployment claims and those types, I mean, it's just a mess. And and then we kind of come and help them untangle that in a way that makes them feel like a large scale Fortune 500 company. Um, but on top of that, I also speak, I also train. Um, and so it's the whole gamut, right? So on the corporate team, you'll see that I have, I have a, a, a consulting arm, but I also, um, you know, I also speak and I train, um, sometimes I'll go into corporate companies. Like I, um, had a, you know, did a little partnership with Google and I did office hours, um, for their black female employees, um, just, really like coaching sessions around how, you know, what concerns that they have um, about their career. Um, And so I do all kinds of things, honestly. Um, It's hard to like put my finger on like, you know, but I, the three things that I really do well um, in terms of how people can partner with me is kind of speaking and providing insights, right? So commission articles, um, insights to, to, to on, on particular topics around diversity and inclusion or HR or careering. Um, then there is obviously my coaching and from time to time I'll do um, a coaching uh, masterclass for women or um, or minorities and women mixed together. Um, and then, and then of course, um, you know, consulting. Um, so those are kind of the three main, main lanes that I stay in. And how do people typically find your services? 
Oh, they can just visit the corporate.com or tctconsultinggroup.com um, and, you know, just send me a message. And how can you scale your business? Yeah, you know, I've I kind of moved into a new phase. So when I and I told you when I started the corporate tea, it kind of started out as a hobby. And when you start out something as a hobby and sort of like a side hustle, you, there are a lot of things that you have to unlearn. Right. Um, and I remember I read the book uh, recently, Profit First. And um, it really changed my mindset around like how I go about business as a as a business mind and as a, a female sort of CEO. Um, and one of the things now is like there are a lot of things that I like, um, but I don't do things that either don't spark joy for me or don't make money. And so I had to clean up my business in terms of scaling by figuring out either things that I wanted to keep because they spark joy. For example, I put on a, a, a women's conference every year here in Dallas called Power Moves, um, and I completely funded um, it sparks joy. It's something that I love to do. Um, and I'll probably keep it as long as I can afford it. Um, I don't particularly make money off of it. It is really my service to the world um, for women of color. And then on the flip side of that, you know, there are a lot of things that I don't do as much. Um, or for example, I don't speak for free anymore. Um, it doesn't make sense for me for my time. Um, you know, I'll do a podcast or things virtually and things like that, which I think is still like a great service. Um, but I'm, I've grown my career and I've kind of been more proven now. And so you have to kind of evolve and scale your business. Um, so hopefully that gives you an idea. No, yeah. And I think that's fair because I think it also comes back to women of color not wanting to ask for what they deserve right if other for me it's it's always been if someone else can do it then so can I so if you know some celebrity is getting paid x amount okay well maybe I'm not that celebrity yet but like you you know and and that's something that I've had guests ask me and I'm like well at this time it's not in my budget yeah when I get to that and and like I've had people like okay I'll give you a discount I said first of all I don't do the discount business. (laughs) I will either pay you in full or I will not have you on my podcast because that at this point I can't, you know, I'm not in that, I'm not in that playing field yet. Yeah. But more often than not, as I, ironically, every single woman of color I've asked to be on my podcast has agreed and not asked for anything. Yeah. Also had non-women of color. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who I've asked to be on my podcast, who've asked yeah. to be paid. Yeah. I think the thing about women of color in general, um, and this is no shade towards, you know, non-women of color, um, but I think we're just generous. And I think when you practice reciprocity, you realize you get it back. One of the things I love about like virtual learning and things that don't cost me a lot, just other than like time, you know, speaking requires a whole thing, right? I got to figure out, you know, whether I'm speaking to a PowerPoint or I got to mm-hmm. come up with a speech. I have to get dressed. I have to get mm-hmm. a full face on. I got to get in our car on a plane. Mm-hmm. I, I can't, you know, that I can't get back. I mean, right now I jumped out of the shower after working out. I'm like, my hair is up. I got on sweats. 
You know what I mean? Like it, I can do a podcast and it doesn't cost me anything. And typically what happens is I run into people all the time that are like, hey, I, I heard you on this podcast and I love your perspective, right? There's not a podcast I don't do that once it airs, I'll get two, three, four followers that are new, right? Um, and so um, because they listen to the podcast and enjoy, you know, my insights. And so, you know, I, I think that, but it's a fair point that you bring out in that, again, going back to the secrets of six figure women is that like monetizing, you know, the things that, you know, kind of our brilliance, you know, um, and starting to draw a line in the sand and say, like, you can't be the benefactor of our brilliance without compensating us for it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so it really it really just depends. Now, I'll say this. Right. You know, I love helping other women of color. I love podcasts that I feel like are kind of grassroots and growing and I'll do them all the time, you know, but if Forbes calls me, we can have a conversation. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So it's a little bit different, right? In terms of like who, it, you know, who, who the podcast is for and, 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 and that kind of thing. But I, I think that women of color are, are so generous um, that has been my experience. Um, and, and that it's kind of the, to be a, a part of this, like kind of unspoken, unspoken tribe is the gift that keeps on giving. And even when I do my conference every year, um, I, I just continually have women who show up and say yes, and I'm, and I'm blessed for it. So I, I always appreciate that. Yeah. And you know, that's, for me, how the podcast started was that I have been lucky enough to have some really incredible women in my life who've always given to me. And, um, you know, I grew up very poor. I, I did competitive cheerleading my whole life. And I think it's one of the things that kept me from getting into trouble and just kept me on a good path. And my coach, who was a black woman, paid for everything. I traveled mm. with her. I competed and I competed from 11 years old until I was 21. And she was with me for probably six or seven years. And yeah. it's, that's just one example, you know, but it's something mm -hmm. to me that that's kind of how this podcast started was that I, I was starting my own business. I was like, um, I think it was Oprah who said um, something along the lines of like, right. Like if you're not, if you're not getting what you want, right. Out of a podcast, out of a book, write what you want to read. Mm -hmm. And for yeah. me, that was this, I'm like, yeah. there's a lot of business podcasts, right. Mostly predominantly white males or like black wealth Renaissance, the boys yeah. that do that. I don't know if you've ever heard of them mm. are awesome or, or yeah. and they do like a business podcast, but there's not a ton of women doing business stuff, talking about business and highlighting where these women are in their business, right? It's a lot, yeah. you know, it's great to show Beyonce, but <laughs> what about before you're there? Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, I 100% agree. Um, it's, 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 it's important. And, and I think what's so great about this, I feel like the corporate tea very much started the same way, right? I created what I didn't see. Uh, there weren't a lot of like career quote unquote influencers. Now I can pretty much follow the hashtag and there's a new person that's like, I'm a career strategist every day. Um, but, but when I started it, um, you know, there wasn't very many people talking about it and particularly talking about it from a black 
um, woman's perspective either. And, and just the experiences in corporate, maybe one or two. And, um, and it's been beautiful to see what social and podcasting and all these like kind of grassroots things um, have, have really done um, over the years. Um, and there's just so much at our fingertips. Um, but I agree with you, you know, you have to create what you don't see for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think that it also kind of piggybacking off what we had said before anyway, was about asking for what you're worth and stuff, but knowing that it doesn't always come back monetarily, right? It can come in other ways with like human capital, right? Like maybe you didn't actually get paid to be on this podcast today, but someone will hear it who needs your services. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the reciprocity in it. Uh Yeah. And to me, that's just what I love about this too. And I was thinking I'll have to send you, I, this is, you're this, um, one of the girls I had, her name is Sable and she, she runs like a, it's called real Brown girl. She's based out of Brooklyn and she just, everything you guys are saying, I, I don't know how, I just feel like it maybe could, you guys could somehow work together. Yeah, or something. Um, but I love connecting people too. I love, yeah, I love hearing stories, but I love connecting and I love to be able to show women in a really positive, strong light that they're doing what they want on their terms. And that's really the moral of the story, right? Doing what you want on your terms. A lot of times, I think when I started this journey, um, eight, nine years ago, and I initially was like, you know, get your seat at the table. You know, everybody was on that crusade. Over the years, I've evolved to a journey of like career contentment and what that looks like for every person is going to be different. Um, I, I think my mindset about corporate has changed a lot and evolved over the years. I mean, I'm gonna just be honest with you. I feel like the game is rigged, right? And so when you think about that piece you have to play a rigged game right because i don't i don't know for sure in our lifetime if it's going to get unrigged so to speak i think now is an interesting time in the world where things are getting called out and it's moving at a rapid pace um and people aren't tolerating the same things they would tolerate 10 20 years ago but that said systemically it's really hard to peel back the onion and fix things the game is rigged and when the game is rigged then there becomes a new question of like you know, there's always, for me, it's a lot of conversations with Black women about not needing the validation to know that you're dope or to know that you're great. I'm great despite whether or not someone says I'm great or whether or not I get a role. And then how how do I take that sort of energy into a corporate space and create a lane for my family um, while building wealth, right? So my my perspective is always um, that you should be side hustling. You should be doing things like, you know, your podcast, you know, and, and, and it's trying to create legacy for yourself and career contentment. And that may mean, like you said earlier, that may mean more money. Um, and you allow your corporate job to fund your dreams. That may mean flexibility for you to be with your children, with your family, and also do something else that you love. But rather than chasing this validation to get to this climb, this ladder, that will cost you more than it will ever pay you. Let's figure out how it fits into the strategy of what your career is. 
you know, um, for you. Um, and that is really more how I address women now today, which has drastically changed from how I thought 10 years ago. And what three pieces of advice would you give to anyone listening on starting their own business? Um, one, just start. <laughs> I was recently on a podcast um, with um, Jacqueline Baker. She has a podcast that's really about just starting and it's very similar to yours. So I'll have to connect you guys in terms of women in business. And she's an amazing, amazing person, but just start, right? Um, secondly is um, it's important for you when you start um, to do your business right. I think part of the issue for many of us is that we started as a hobby. We're unsure. We're scared to step out. We're scared to make it an official business. We're scared of taxes. We're scared of all those things. Um, but you got to hire smart people. Um, my um, my CPA um, is a CPA for creatives and, and people who do what I do. And she's just absolutely amazing. She's out of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, the creative CFO, she's amazing. And she is my CFO. And it feels like she's just mine even though she has many clients, um, you know, so get you great people for taxes, for CFO, for, uh, for your money um, that are, are going to help you learn more about your business. Um, obviously, as a consultant in HR infrastructure, I will say before you start hiring people, figure out what your philosophy around people is and the type of business you want to be. And from the ground up, you know, a lot of people will hire attorneys to, to make sure that their business is valid, but then they won't hire like an HR consultant to make sure when they start hiring people, they're creating the right policies and infrastructure internally to build a business very solid. Um, but those are those are kind of, I mean, I was all over the place, but you, you get what I'm saying. I think it's really one, just start to hire, hire the right people and then um, learn more about your business and how you can, can grow and scale it. Um, um, and there's so many resources out there. So I don't know if you are familiar then being in HR, but there is a branch of applied behavior analysis is what I do. Um, it's called organizational behavior management, mm -hmm. and it's very similar to the HR mm -hmm. stuff you were, talk you were just talking mm -hmm. about. But, you know, we kind of come in and we analyze what's going on within the business, right, mm -hmm. based on yeah. data. But then, yeah. you know, like if you have a, a, a person who's not performing well or um, yeah. we relate all the principles of behavior mm -hmm. to it and, you know, create, create an intervention that will yeah. make everyone mm -hmm. excel. Yeah. And, it's very, it's very similar. So it's, it's something that through my own business, I've learned, um, like I had a gym and went from like, it just being my husband and myself to, we had a full staff of people and I was yeah. like, what the fuck? Yeah. Cause when you start managing people, I think people are so hard on corporations and that's not to say that corporations don't take advantage or they can't do better. But it's not until you own your own business that you realize how difficult it is to manage humans, right? Um, even someone who is skilled in what I, you know, human capital and people management and, and just, just overall understanding fundamentally what has to be in place, you still 
people still baffle me, right? That people still don't, you know, you pay them to do a job and they don't do it. Uh, and it's even worse in the in the more small, medium-sized business realm because you have creatives that are just flaky and that's why they didn't make it in corporate. And so you're trying to figure it out and navigate, you know, um, kind of the psyche of people. And it, to your point, you are like, what the, like, you know, seriously, like what in the world? Um, so it, it's still difficult. That's what I love though about bridging psychology and business yeah. because it's everything I do in my day job, right? Um, I typically work with kids with autism, but I also manage technicians and I also have, you know, I do the hiring of my staff. I have to also teach the parents and work with the family members and sometimes teachers and schools. And so it's like, I have my own little team, but then even just having the gym and it helped me realize how much more structure I needed for people, some people, right? Um, and to be, you know, now to be able to create interventions, create things within the business for my staff, like who's going to clean, right? Making a schedule right. that's, it's so, you know, random, but it has to be cleaned. So, right. you know, and making it fair for everybody. So it's not like, Susie has to clean the gym every day and then right John yeah cleans the gym and so yeah it's like you come up with a brilliant idea or a business and you don't consider the nuances of what it takes um to to run that business and uh you know, I always encourage people like before they jump out and they're truly visionary and they pour a lot of money into something to really consider what it costs you and the the things that you have to consider that you need to bill out as you're as you're growing and scaling that business and as you add people to the dynamic um, because it, it can be tough. Yeah, definitely. And I, I especially. Um, having that interview recently and and understanding the business aspect you know I understand that you're also still a business so you can only pay x amount right oh it's not yeah like I, thought. I definitely yeah. didn't believe that this company was saying hey we can pay you this much because they could actually pay more I think it was just they're a significantly smaller company right my company is huge they're one of the biggest in North America so right. I know that's why they can justify what they pay but right. it was just like it's just so fascinating to me and business is something that I fall more in love with every day. And then I've always loved psychology and that's my specialty. So it's, it's just, this has been fantastic. I'm going to just tell, ask you to, you know, share your Instagram and your website one more time and I'll link yeah. it in the show notes too. Yeah, absolutely. So it's at the corporate T on all social media, so social media handles. Um, so Instagram, Facebook, it's forward slash the corporate T. Um, and uh, of course, Twitter, I'm at the corporate T. So it's really easy to find me the corporate TEA and then um, the corporate T.com um, for kind of my site and my, my likeness, but uh, for consulting, it is TCT consultant group.com. And are you still having that uh, conference this year 
or is it up in the yeah, air? Yeah, yeah, so up in the air, you know, about what we're going to do. And we're really kind of like, uh, you know, this is about the time that we typically start planning and we're trying to see what the world is going to do. But um, I do have powermoves.com. Um, it is pal her moves. Um, and um, you can visit it. The The site from last year is still up, but um, we're, we're just about the starting the conversations about evolving it. And we don't know if it'll be virtual or, you know, if we're going to move the date, it's typically the, it's typically the third week in January um, every year, uh, but it, that may change. Um, so more to come. <laughs> and is it just for, you know, people in Texas or is it just kind of, open Oh no, I have whoever? people fly in all the time. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just always been in Dallas cause I'm located here, but I've had women from all over. Um, and I'm actually every year I'm surprised, right? I'm like, what you came from where? Um, but I, there are not a lot of conferences that are truly focused on the corporate aspect for women. It's a lot of women's empowerment and a lot of like broader things, but I'm really niche in in making sure that women are understanding what it's like to either run a business corporately or, or to, to be in a corporate kind of environment and kind of navigate. And so most of our speakers are like heavyweights in that way. Um, So um, if that gives you an idea. Yeah, no, that sounds, I want to (laughs) go. Yeah, come on. I will, I will keep an eye out for that for sure. And I mean, hopefully, you know, stay healthy and um, the turnaround time right now for podcasts are about six weeks. So okay. this will be out around August. Awesome. Well, August. My birthday is my birthday is August sixteenth. So it's oh, be then a I'll great... do that. I'll make sure it's <laughs> out then. Then I'm gonna write that in my notes. Yeah. And then, um, thank you so much. This has been so great. Yeah, it was so, so great um, to meet you and for you. I'm grateful that you reached out and that I get to learn a little bit more um, about you and your podcast. And I'm always here if you ever want to bring me back. Awesome. Thank you, Tony. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Warrior Her podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another fun episode. Go like, subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes. Until next time, warriors, remember, girls really do run the world.